Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Uh, tonight we continue our study, our fresh study here in the book of Hosea. And so if you turn to chapter 2 of the book of Hosea and a study that I've entitled Getting to Know God. Before we dig into chapter 2, I want to remind you that the prophet Hosea is writing uh, roughly 800 years before the coming of Messiah. And he's writing in a very Jewish context to a very Jewish audience. So this is a very Jewish story in the sense, the way it's constructed. And so there are words used here that are gender specific, male and female, but in no way, shape or form uh, should we consider this passage uh, to be a attack on women and to allow men to kind of go scot-free. This is best applied ultimately to the nation Israel as a whole to the church as well, and it applies across gender lines. And so as we read these words, please remember the context in which they were written. And last time, you may remember, as we began in chapter one, we kind of have this concept or this thought, you know, Hosea is given something to do, and basically his words to the Lord and his thoughts as he ponders this is, you want me to do what? You know, here I am, I'm holy and handsome Hosea, and you want me to marry this kind of grungy gal Gomer. It's like, doesn't make any sense. Why would you want me, a man of God, to do this? And so God has a message for us. And this message is the two-sided message of our existence in this world, that we who are mankind, we who are created in the image of God, but yet with a sin nature, are on that side that says, look, I I have a great capacity to sin. And as God speaks to the church, as God speaks to national Israel, which is the main focus of this message, he's saying, look, I, I recognize God is a holy God. And he requires holiness of his people, but he also acknowledges that we're sinners deeply in need of a savior, that we who are capable of great sin. God still hates that sin itself while loving the sinner. And this message may be for you tonight as we continue our study here in this amazing short book. Maybe you're one of those people that feels like God can't reach your life. Maybe you've outsend the grace of God. Perhaps you've gone to such an extreme that maybe God would no longer want you Uh, The message tonight for you is God deeply loves you. He absolutely still uh, does not love sin. He hates sin, but he surely loves you. And if you'll repent, just as he says to the nation Israel in this passage, if you'll repent, uh, he not only will bring you in, but he will love you with an extravagant love. Uh, It's certainly a message that we need to hear. So would you join me and we'll pray. We'll pick up here in verse 1 of the second chapter of the book of Hosea. Let's pray. Father, again, 
we, your church, have come and we're meeting virtually via the wonder of the internet and live stream and uh, television cameras and sound systems and all those things. But it is your voice and it is your word that we've come to study. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear the truth, Lord, about ourselves, about this world, about who you are and how you respond to us in our time of desperate need. And so, Lord, would you speak to us as your church, encourage us with your word, and give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2 and verse 1, and it begins this way, Say to your brethren, my people, so it's obvious that this is towards the children of Israel, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Bring charges against your mother, bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. And so God, through the prophet Hosea, is reminding us that he deeply is disturbed, does not like, and in fact, hates sin. No child of God can claim that God accepts their sin. He simply doesn't. But at the same time, he is merciful towards us in those areas to where we fail him if we'll turn back to him. And so Hosea is kind of giving us a picture of both Hosea's life, which was, to say the least, bizarre, interesting, and the children of Israel, and also yours and mine, as we walk by grace and through faith today in our lives. And he says, look, as long as you're going to keep doing these things, you can't claim me as your husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight. In other words, she's saying, look, stop. If you were with us this morning as we looked at the life of John the Baptist and his faith, his message was very simple. John the Baptist said something that really made people upset, and it makes people in our world upset today. And that is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God doesn't let us keep our sin. He says, look, you, you need to let go of that. You need to turn from that. You need to turn back towards me. You need to let go of the sin and return to God. And so Hosea is getting much the same a word from the Lord that John the Baptist was preaching when Jesus came. And as he was a forerunner of the Lord, he says, look, put away your harlotries. Don't do it. Her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day that she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her in a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children for they are the children of harlotry. And this is a condemnation, open condemnation of sin. And we live in a world that doesn't like it when the church actually says what God says about sin. It's like, look, you can't keep it. It's not for the child of God. It is something we should be ashamed of. We should look at sin and go, that's not the way I want to live my life. And so he speaks very, very directly to this issue. He says, look, you should not be doing these things. And the results are given here of a life of sin. And sometimes I'll talk to people and we'll go through some situation they're engaged in very clear that it's not okay with God. And then after we discuss it, we'll, we'll be looking at that situation and they wonder why their life has turned into a spiritual wilderness. 
They wonder why their life has turned into spiritual dryness. They wonder why there's no vitality to their prayer life, why their life in general is now governed by the very things that Hosea is saying here. Their their life has become a wilderness, a desert. There there doesn't appear to be a work of the Lord in their life. This this merciful God that we all love to serve in, in his mercy is the same God who says, look, you can't keep in your sin any longer. It's the message of the Apostle Paul. Should we go on sinning any longer that grace might abound? In other words, it's almost as if Paul was saying, look, if I sin a whole bunch, God will forgive a whole bunch, so I'm just having a whole bunch of grace, a whole bunch of mercy. That is not God's plan for his people. It's not his plan for Israel. It's not his plan for you and I. God wants us to live lives that are holy. And so that first chapter where you meet this holy God, God is now making this contrast and saying, look, if you sin, you need to remember to turn from it, turn back to me because I am that holy God. You're going to receive the mercy of the Lord in a repentant state. You're not going to see the fullness of the mercy of the Lord when you're being rebellious. And so there's a very personal side to the story. Uh, and I have to confess that I, I wonder what happens to the children that are born uh, through the infidelities of Gomer. And before we pick on Gomer too much, we have to kind of look at our own lives, what things are born in our lives out of our own infidelity to the Lord. Now, maybe that's not sexual sin. Perhaps that isn't something that you could put in that category that would actually you know, bring about this particular result. But what about those things in our lives that are clearly disobedient to the calling that God's placed on us and we do them anyway? What about those children? Because they do bear things in our lives. They bring forth fruit in their own due season. That's why uh, Paul, as he wrote to the church at Galatia, reminded us, don't, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or a woman sows, that shall also reap. She will reap. When you reap to the world or reap from the world, the whirlwind, you have to look back in your life and go, man, I I probably at some point in time sowed that same whirlwind. I I did something that uh, brought these consequences into my own life. And so as Hosea now kind of reflects on the grace of God, he's looking at these kids, he's going, well, you know, I'm actually going to call you mine. I'm going to call you the pitied one. I'm, I'm going to speak grace into your life because it's grace that I want you to walk in. But I also want you to know that the direction that your mom's going, that's not okay. That's not what I want. And consequently, we can learn this lesson that when God speaks to us in a negative way, he's not trying to crush us. He's trying to change us. He's trying to move us away from those things that will harm us because you can guarantee that this poor woman, Gomer, was, was not having a great life. She was wandering in the wilderness, and her life was dry. And so Hosea, uh, pleased with this woman, says, look, don't do this. You're not acting like a, a wife. You're acting like someone you don't want to act like. And so he pleads or makes a plea to her, which becomes a parable Um, for national Israel. It becomes a parable for you and I. It looks forward to everyone's life uh, when we're walking in a way that's disobedient to the plans of the Lord. 
And so he begins to kind of unfold these things. Look, she's not actually acting like my wife right now. You're compromising your walk with the Lord. Now, the children by this time were obviously old enough to understand that, and that's why he's making these statements. He said, like, talk to your mom. And he kind of gives them new names. He says, look, not my people is going to become my people, and loved will become my loved ones. These new names kind of reflect the way that God sees us. He wants us to change, and so he's willing to kind of give us a a, a do-over, a restart work in our lives in such a way that we're no longer known by our sin, but we're known by the grace that we now walk in. And so instead of being Jezreel, the place of slaughter, he's going to become known as the God who sows in that land. And the Jewish people are kind of looking at this and they're like, I'm not sure how this actually applies to us. And so if we look down the prophetic timeline, There is a time when the Jewish people are going to turn to the Lord. We know it uh, as the time of tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble, a time that the Jews, having been sown into this Gentile world and saved one at a time by grace today, the same way I come to know Jesus or you come to know Jesus, any person, including the Jewish people, can come to know the Lord. But there will come a point in time where God's going to deal with them once again as a nation, and it is to that group that Hosea speaks. He says, look, as a people, we're going the wrong direction. We're staying so far outside of where God could bless us that we can't expect him to do good things in our lives. But there will come a time, as Zechariah prophesies there in Zechariah chapters 10, 11, and 12 principally, that God is going to bring them into their own land. He's going to restore them. He's going to fulfill that covenant that he made in Genesis 22 with Abraham. He's going to see them as Paul the apostle would write that one day all Israel would be saved there in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. There is going to come a time when they're going to receive that message of grace. And so he's giving us a preview really of what it's like to be a child of God by grace today for the church and also what Israel looks forward to in that day and time when the lessons that are being spoken of in this little book are learned by everyone because God is faithful to make sure that we understand the truths to which we are being held into account. It would be very unfair for God to not uh, speak to us about the problems that he has with us, but just simply punish us without letting us know why, it would be extremely unfair and really unjust. And so God is saying, look, here's what you can't do. Here's what your life shouldn't look like. You should not be engaged in these things. And so the Jewish people were getting that message uh, through the prophet that they were being spiritually adulterous. They were being, Gomer was being physically adulterous. But the children of Israel were following after false gods. They were going the way of the world. And so in that greater sense, there are some lessons that we can learn uh, from this marvelous little book. And the first thing that you see here is, look, Gomer, you have to remember, I'm holy. Hosea is basically speaking for God, saying, look, God is holy. And so the holiness of God is never minimized in Scripture. 
You know, sometimes because grace is so great and because grace is a free gift of God, it comes by faith, and that faith comes by hearing the word of God, we almost get the picture that, you know, well, you know, maybe God's not actually holy anymore. Maybe he doesn't really care what we do with our lives. Maybe he just kind of leaves that part of our life alone. And the Bible clearly paints exactly the opposite picture. God cares about what you do with your body. That's the whole context of Romans chapter 12. Present yourselves, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so God does want us to live lives that are representative of the one who's married us, the one to whom we have pledged our lives, the one that bought and paid for us with his own precious blood. And so in this particular second chapter, God's really looking at three basic areas to where the children of Israel are really kind of off the deep end. They've gone the direction of Balaam, if you will. And so because God still hates sin, he speaks through the prophet Hosea and he says, look, here's the problems. You guys are walking in idolatry and you're saying, well, what kind of idolatry? Well, the reason that Hosea and Gomer were having this problem was that Gomer was believing the lies of the culture. The lies of the culture were that the prophet that spoke of God was speaking of this holy God that was unreachable. But those who were the prophets of Baal, well, they had something going on because they kind of, you know, did the sex, drugs, rock and roll thing. Molech was the, the God that looked at children as though they were a burden. And so you get rid of children and now you end up with a few more groceries on your table. And Ashtaroth was just simply the God of sexual pleasure. So in a way, you can kind of see what Gomer was dealing with was a world that spoke to her and said, look, you know, here's what we have to offer. And God says, no, that's not the way I want you to go. I want you to give your life specifically to me. I want you to be faithful to your husband. I actually want you to be faithful to me. And so Hosea remaining faithful and Gomer being unfaithful is kind of the choice that we have in the world today. You can choose to be faithful to God or you can choose to be unfaithful and follow after the things of the world. And so he lists three principal areas that we can err in. The first one is idolatry. It's following after false gods. The pagan worship that we see in 1 Kings chapters 18 through 19, 18 and 19 together, really, uh, they, they believe that, you know, during that day and time, if you just made offerings to these false gods, that you'd have wealth and you'd have health and the rain would come and the crops would grow. And so in essence, they were saying, well, here's what the world says. We'll follow that way and we'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We'll have everything that we need of. And God's saying, no, I want you to be faithful to me and I make it rain on the just and the unjust. I'm the one that chooses to bless you or chooses to withhold from you because you have a lesson to learn. You see, we don't like the lessons. Just as John the Baptist this morning didn't love uh, being in the well of souls at the this black fortress of Machaerus in the middle of the Idumean wilderness. They're in Edom. So we don't like having things withheld from us. And so we gravitate towards the things of the world. We start to idolize the things of the world. We start to look at that. Well, you know, 
she's got freedom to do whatever she wants. He's got freedom to do whatever he wants. He has, you know, these hookup relationships with whoever. You know, she just goes and does the bar scene and nothing ever happens to her. Matter of fact, she's rich. She's got a nice car and whatever. You see, that same type of idolatry is still available today. Now, it may look a little different. Perhaps it isn't, uh, you know, painted in exactly the same way but is still very close to the same thought process that takes someone in our day and time and makes them ideal, the ideals that they have um, gravitate towards the things of the world. And I think that's a grave danger for us. I talk to Christians all the time. It's just like, yeah, I got caught up with this guy or this girl, and before you knew it, my whole life got changed. Be careful, church. Because the same things that were tantalizing mankind during Hosea's time still tantalize the world today. So in a symbolic sense here in this book, this idolatry was prostitution. Maybe it's not that today, but maybe it is promiscuity. Maybe it is leaning towards the the world that we live in today. Uh, and just as the nation could no longer claim God while they were engaged in, in following after Baal or Molech or Ashtaroth, so God is saying to you and I tonight, he's saying, look, I, I, I want you to live your life in a way that's pleasing to me. And just as Israel was tempted to forsake God and follow heathen idols, the church today is tempted to turn to the world, the world system. And that world system hates God, wants nothing to do with him. That that world system wants you to follow after it. And so your Bible plainly declares these truths to us. You know, when John in 1 John chapter 2 said, we have to be careful to not love the world, he was being very descriptive. It means to not give your affections to the things of this world. In other words, don't sell yourself out to the world and the things that it offers. That's a strong truth that a lot of people don't like to hear. You can't go the way of the world and expect to have the blessings of God. James in chapter 4 and verse 4 there says, we can't be friends with the world. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not friendly to people who are in the world. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. There's a huge difference between those two things. You can, as God does, still love people who are deeply engrossed in sin while at the same time not following them into those things yourself. In other words, not being friends of the world to the extent that you now become just like them. They're supposed to be drawn to who we love and who we serve. That's the Lord. We should be friends of God so that when people see us, meet us, greet us, talk to us, watch what we do, they go, I want to be friends with the people you're friends with. And that would lead them to the Lord. We're not to become spotted by the world. Now, this is an interesting phrase that's used here. They're they're in chapter 1 and verse 27. You see, what it says there in James 1 is that you don't want to get dirtied by the world, spotted. It's kind of this picture like you were so close to the action that you got mud thrown on you. This is a place where our witness comes into view. Because when we don't isolate ourselves from sin, 
when we get so close to it that we get mud on us, people go, well, you're just as dirty looking as the guy who actually did it or the girl who actually did it. You were at that party. You were engaged in the same thing. I watched you pass that drink or pass that joint or go into that room where a bunch of people are doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. That's what it means to be spotted. We're not supposed to be stained, in other words, by the world. We, we shouldn't be getting junk on us because there is enough distance between us and the world that we can't be accused of having an idolatrous, idolatrous relationship with the world. And again, that's that being not conformed to this world that Romans 12 speaks about as the Apostle Paul speaks to that point. And so we have to be careful, every believer, every church, to remain true to Christ, the bridegroom, until he comes and gets us for the wedding. And that wedding's going to be in heaven. That means we shouldn't have idols. And we'll see these other two things, both the ingratitude and hypocrisy, come up in a little bit. So now as we look towards the prophetic side of all this, the nation Israel was not forced into idolatry. The nation Israel had had treacherous lovers. Look at verse 5. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. Now, now I want you to notice something. Nobody's putting the gun up to her and saying, hey, you got to do this. She says, I will go after that which I want, my lovers. Who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. And therefore, behold, uh, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. You can put a wall around a person, but the person can always climb over the wall. That's why legalism never works, by the way. You can put rules onto mankind all day, every day, and people will still figure out a way to sin. There has to be a heart change. Notice what she says, I will go after my lovers. When somebody puts in their heart and their mind that they're going to go the wrong direction, no amount of you telling them what to do is actually going to change that. They have to decide in their own heart not to do it. It has to be a heart change, not a head change. It isn't knowing something different. It is being willing to capitulate to the will of the Lord and doing something different with your life. And so Hosea is saying, look, I'm going to make it hard for you to do these things. But notice verse 7, she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she'll seek them, but not find them. And then she'll say, I'll go and return to my husband, for then it was better for me than now. And this is the process of knowing the truth. When you look at this in the case of Israel, when you look at this in the case of believers today, once the truth has been spoken, you're obligated to have that understanding for the rest of your days. And so Gomer understood that what she was doing was wrong. She was still willing to chase after and do it, but it became so frustrating that eventually she understood that truth in a different way and said, look, I don't want what I'm getting. That's what we call the conviction of the Holy Spirit today in the church. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness, places in your heart the understanding of truth. And so what ultimately happens is you start down a road and go, man, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going this direction. It's not providing what I thought it would provide. And the hope is the Holy Spirit convicting you of that sin to bring you back. Look, I'm going back to my husband. 
And whether that's in sinful behavior and you're going back to the Lord, or in Israel's case, they had turned away from following the true and the living God towards false gods, that idolatry ended the moment that they became conscious of the fact that's the wrong direction and they were going to choose to submit to the will of the Lord and go the opposite direction back towards God himself. This is such an important lesson for us today because that's our choice. God's not going to stop you from every sinful behavior that you can engage in. But he is going to provide you with understanding. He says, that's not the direction I want you to go. That's not how I want you to live your life. You need to turn around and come back to me. And what happens eventually, hopefully, it should happen nearly automatically. The Holy Spirit's going, no, I don't want you to go there. And you're going, well, if you're saying so, then I probably am not supposed to be here. I'm turning around and going back. But being as hard-headed as we are, we kind of keep bumping our head against that wall that is the Lord. And while he's trying to get us to come back to him, we're saying, no, I don't think I really want to do that right now. But finally, Hosea kind of sees the end of all the pursuits of Gomer. And he says it this way, she will not find them. And then she's going to say, I'm going back to, I'm going back to Hosea because he's gracious and he's kind and he took me in in the first place. This is the beauty of the calling on our lives by grace, through faith. God didn't say you needed to get cleaned up to come to him. He said, when you come to him, you should desire to get cleaned up. You should desire to live your life godly in Christ Jesus. It's a natural outflow of your new mind that's been being renewed in you. Ultimately, the Jewish people are going to see this played out in mass as a people during the Great Tribulation. They're going to see this incredible conflict. They're going to see a world ruler rise that, that begins with a peace treaty with them and the rest of the world around them. But he's going to break that peace treaty. He's going to force them into a situation where they're going to have to choose between God and him. And they're going to choose wrongly for a while. And then the, the world is going to come unhinged and unglued. And then finally, they're going to, we're going back to the Lord. It's the whole purpose of the tribulation is to bring national Israel to its knees. Notice verse 8 as we begin the response of the Lord. How does God respond? What is God's plan? What does he want to do? What does he say in a moment where we choose to do the wrong thing, but we have in view the right thing? And here's what I believe God does. He gives us some promises that if we will turn, he will meet us. Notice these I wills as they begin in verse verse eight. And therefore, I will return and take away my corn. And now I will discover her lewdness and and I will cease all of her mirth or her happiness to, to come to an end. I will destroy her vines and I will visit upon her the days of the Baalim. In other words, God's saying, look, if you keep going that direction, it's going to get worse. Can I tell you that's actually the kindness of God? See, God doesn't give us all of the penalties for our sin initially. He kind of says, look, this is me. That's wrong. Turn around, go the other way. But he allows us the freedom to choose for ourselves whether we're going to listen. And as we keep going the wrong way, God turns up the temperature for going the other way. We see God acting, in essence, in punishment. 
He's saying, look, if you want to go that way, it's going to get so bitter and so hurtful, and you're not going to like it so much. Eventually, you're going to get out there to the end. You're going to go, man, I need to turn around. I need to go the other way. I need to stop forsaking the Lord and return to God. And that's the beauty of the remainder of this chapter. And it's very fitting that this is exactly what God wants in the life of every believer. That's what he wants for national Israel. It's what he wanted for Gomer herself and her husband, Hosea. God wants to give us pardon. He, he, he does not want to punish us. God takes no delight. The word says God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. God doesn't want to punish us. He's just like every parent. You know, sometimes Connie and I will talk about, you know, those early years of raising our sons. One of the most horrifying things for every parent is thinking you might actually have to punish your children. No parent wants to punish their children. You don't wake up in the morning, man, I just can't wait to beat my kids. I really want to make sure that they know exactly who's boss. No, you you don't ever want to have to do that. And so to that end, you establish boundaries. You give them rules. You set forth guidelines. You say, look, this is the way it is in our house. This is how we live our lives. And when you stay within these things, blessings flow to you. That's when the cookie jar is open, so to speak. But if you get outside of it, we might have to have a timeout. We might have to have a talk. Or, or maybe there's a time when there, there literally needs to be, you know, some other punishment applied, like the taking away of, you know, the cell phone, heaven forbid. No parent wants to do that, and God doesn't want to do it to you. And so God begins to now speak in this so- sovereign I will statement again, but he says now from the positive standpoint, look, look, you don't want what you're going to get if you keep going the wrong direction. But I'm going to give it to you because you're going to deserve it if you keep going that way. But here's the other side. You, you can choose this direction, but I want to give you this direction. I want to pour out grace on you. I want to pardon you. I, I want you to understand these directions are not good for you. If you go there, that's going to really put some bad things in your life. But here's what you can have instead. I will allure. I will give you. I will take away the names of the Baalim out of your mouth. You won't even remember who they were. And in that day, and there's that phrase that points us towards the last days, I will make a covenant and I will break the bow. And I will make them lie down safely. And I will betroth you to ev- forever. And I will hear. And I will sow. And I will have mercy. And I will say to them, which were not my people, you are now my people. And they shall say, you are my God. You see, that's the pardon. That's the offer of grace. That's the mercy that God wants to bestow on everyone. And especially in this passage, National Israel. But those issues were standing between them and God. And that's where this comes to touch us. We have issues often standing between us and God. There are some legitimate things that God is saying, look, you you need to turn from those things. Verse 8 says, she did not know that I gave her grain and new wine and oil, that I multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. 
and therefore I will return and take it away for the grain in its time and the new wine in its season. And I'll take back my wool and take back my linen and I, will give it, I won't give it to her to cover her nakedness. God is basically saying, look, I'll remove these things so you'll come to your senses. This is such a beautiful picture of the response of the Lord because God doesn't want us to maintain that direction that we're going towards the world. And so he takes things out of our lives. He says, look, I'm taking this stuff out of your life to get your attention. You want to know why you lost that job? Could, could it be that that job forced you into situations that were not pleasing to the Lord? And God says, look, if you're going to trust in that job, I'm going to take the job away. If you're going to trust in that relationship, I'm going to take the relationship away. If you're going to put your hope and trust in the things of this world, then I'm going to take some of the things of this world and I'm going to remove them so that you are reminded that every one of those things actually came from me. They didn't come from the world. They can't be prospered by the world. They won't be provided by the world. They came from me. And so God removes those things. And so he's really dealing with what I think often is our ingratitude. Sometimes I just don't appreciate the things that the Lord's given me. Now, I don't know about you as I've been driving around. We had a chance to drive all the way into Kern County yesterday. We just decided we're going to go for a drive. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to find some place where we don't have to wear masks. We finally found that place. Now, we had to almost reach the grapevine to do it. But as we got there, it's like nobody's wearing masks. Everybody's totally cool with it. You, you, you see, sometimes when you take away someone's freedom, you start to truly appreciate the fact that we are so blessed most of the time. It was like, man, Lord, thank you that I don't have to have a mask on right now. Thank you, I can go for a walk, a hike with, without those things because it's okay to do that here. It's legal in Kern County to not have a mask on when you're out on a hiking trail. How many times God admonishes us, give thanks to the Lord for God is good. That hundredth Psalm, Colossians chapter three, they admonish us to keep that thankful heart for the things that God's done in our lives. And I think one of the, Great steps towards rebellion in the life of the believer, in the life of Israel, in the life of individual believers and the church as a whole is when we become ungrateful. It is ungratefulness, it's ingratitude that pushes us towards looking for other ways to be satisfied. And God's saying, look, you need to be satisfied in me. You need to be grateful for the things that I've given and allowed into your life. Because I don't believe God will allow us to enjoy his gifts and at the same time ignore the giver of those gifts, which is him. I think that is the essence of idolatry. That's what gets us looking the wrong places. What we see here is God literally hates hypocrisy. He can't stand in gratitude, but he hates hypocrisy. Verse 10, now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. And no one shall deliver her from my hand. He's saying, look, if you want to keep going that direction, I'm going to let people know who you are. You're not going to be able to act anymore. There are a lot of Christians who pretend to be Christians on Sunday or on Thursday night, but they're back doing exactly the things that they used to do in the world 
come Thursday or Monday morning. God hates it when we're hypocrites. He wants us to be genuine believers. He wants Israel to be genuine. He wants us to stop acting like we're one thing and yet being another. And I also also cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, her appointed feasts, all these things that she was doing to kind of appease both sides. And I'm sure you've met Christians who try and keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. One foot walking with the Lord and one foot walking with the world the way the world walks is the way to look at it. Those those Sabbaths, those appointed feasts, those things that kind of keep you tied in to the ways of the world. God's saying, look, I, I hate it when you're a hypocrite. I can't stand it when you're an actor. He won't put up with it with Israel, and they're going to come to a a place in time where they're going to see the Lord. They're going to know him. This is the beauty of the end of this particular second chapter. I'll destroy the fig vines of which she said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me. It's like she look at that and go, see, that's what prostitution gets me. It gets me great figs. There are a lot of Christians that think they've gotten stuff from the world from their sin. And the fact of the matter is the devil's in those details and the devil's going, look, look what I gave you and you don't even know it's the devil. You have to watch out. And so I will make them a forest. I'm just going to plant all this stuff, the stuff that my flesh has gotten me, I'm just going to do more of it. The beast of the field shall eat them and I will punish her. For the days of the Baals, for which she burned incense, she decked herself with earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot, says the Lord of hosts, she forgot me. What a picture of how we can get caught up in the things of the world and forget the Lord. God hates it when we do that. How easy it is for us to, attend a service, whether it's online or in person, and we're worshiping the Lord, we're lifting our hands, but really our hearts are kind of far from God. Actually, kind of don't mean it. Here's the truth. That'll eventually come out. You're going to know it. You're going to know when it's not real, and you're going to know that it's acting. And I think in some ways the Lord allows those things so that when we come to the end of that false worship, that false understanding, that we'll yearn for him because he really wants to pour out his love on us. And I want to finish on that very positive note because that's the story here. God's saying, look, don't do this. There's all kinds of traps in this. Verse 14, because Hosea, for Israel, for you, for me, God is a God of love. And so God promises here in the remainder of this chapter, this incredible love. And I want you to just circle them, circle all these I wills. These are statements that God has made about how he wants to love us. How he wants us when we flee that ingratitude, when we flee the hypocrisy, when we flee the idolatry, God says, look, I am right here. I am waiting. My grace is available. My mercy is for you. I want to pour out my love. If you will forsake your other lovers, if you will come back to me, then I will do these things. Look what he says. This is so encouraging. 
And therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will draw her. I'll woo her back to me. I'll bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. In other words, when you're in that place that you have gotten yourself, God will speak in those still small moments. Look, you don't want to be here. Come back to me. He will literally woo you back to him. It's like, you don't like this. You don't love this. This is not for you. Come back. I will give her vineyards from there to the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And there she will sing. And as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt, for it shall be, and again, notice this is for Israel, in that day, its strongest and most important application is towards national Israel. During the time of Jacob's trouble, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. There's a difference between a master and a husband, amen? Look, if you rule your home then as a master, you're not going to be a very good husband. It's not a matter of you telling your wife what to do. It's you wooing her to where she's in love with you. She has desire for you. That's what God wants. God wants us to desire him, not to just simply do what we tell him to do, or he tells us to do, rather. He wants us to willingly say, look, you're, you're who I'm married to. For I'll take from her mouth the names of the Baals. They'll be remembered no more. For in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the creeping things of the ground, the bow and the sword of battle. I will shatter, shatter from the earth, make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me. I, I will make a commitment to marry you in righteousness and judgment, in loving kindness and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. Faithfulness. You shall know the Lord, for it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth will answer in grain and new wine and oil. And they shall answer in Jezreel. And I will sow for her myself in the earth and have mercy on her who have not obtained mercy. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. You see, just as the three children taught us about the grace of God and Gomer kind of teaches us about the holiness of God, the justice of God, Hosea now finishes this chapter with the love of God. He says, look, I will woo you. I will allure you. I will seek your hand in marriage. I, I want you to know me in an intimate way. And he says, look, I, I will give these things to you. What you're looking for in the world, I will give to you out of my goodness. I want to bless you. You'll experience singing. You're going to know what goodness actually is if you will allow me to be your husband, but I won't force you to do that. The third promise is I will take these other things away. God literally removes your desire for the things of the world when you stay committed to him. So I'll remove even the desire of those things. I'll, I'll give you a desire for me. I'll replace that desire that you had for the things of the world. And the fourth promise is, look, I, I will not just woo you, but I will enter a covenant relationship with you. 
I won't just make you a promise. I'll make good on the promise. I'll make that covenant a reality in your life. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you these wedding gifts of righteousness and justice and love and compassion and tenderness and faithfulness from me to you. And the fifth promise, I will respond. When you call, I'll answer. When you look for me, you'll find me. When you start searching for me with your whole heart, you'll find me. I'll respond to you. I won't shut you out. And just as that new heavens and new earth will come down to that and that new Jerusalem, so the Lord is basically saying to Israel, look, turn to me and you'll have me. And then the final promise is I will plant. The Valley of Jezreel, the valley that we call Megiddo, that place that will have the Battle of Armageddon, which will end up being finalized in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, just outside of Jerusalem. God is saying, look, when you turn your ways over to me, when you marry me, when you are faithful to me, when I respond to you, I'm going to plant you. And the result of that is I'm going to call you my own. I'm going to pour out my grace in your life. You're going to know me. I'm going to know you. As you keep my promises, I'm going to shower my grace upon you. And church, we we need more today than ever to have the grace of God shower upon us. And so I pray, we pray, and we should continue to pray uh, that we would live lives that are absolutely open before the Lord, that he can speak to us and say, look, I want you to go this way versus that. And when we hear his voice, we respond. We recognize that whatever he takes away, he takes away for a reason. Whatever he gives, he gives for a reason so that we can have all that he asks for us and so that we can know him fully and have that beautiful love relationship by grace and through faith. And so if you don't know him, there are pastors again that are online, can pray with you. Uh, We would love to share the good news of the gospel with you so that you might know Jesus Christ personally. But remember that God loves you. And because he loves you, he won't let you go too far without you knowing it. And once he tells you that, he's looking for you to turn around and go back towards him so that he can pour out these final I wills. I I will allure you. I will give to you. I will take away your desires for the world. I will betroth you to myself. I'll give you that covenant. I'll respond to you and I will plant you in a pleasant place to where life is good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, with the work of the Spirit to guide us, direct us, lead us, point us away from sin and back towards you if that's necessary. But keep us centered on you as we think about our lives in you and we seek that joy that you want to give so that we can walk with you all of our days. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.